Thank you, ushers, for serving us. As they do that, I want to invite you to go ahead and get your Bible out with me. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number three. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number three. As we turn there and find our place, let me just say a, a big thank you to Pastor Rick Steimling. Where did he go? I saw him earlier. He's, there you go. Thank you so much. Last week, he brought the word. And to our team that, that led in that service, I'm so grateful. It gave me an opportunity to get away and to get in the wilderness. I got in the wilderness last week, and I want to tell you, it did my soul some good. I was up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire doing some winter mountaineering up there. And uh, in fact, last Sunday, this was funny, last Sunday, um, we, were, we were ice climbing at a place called Cathedral Ledge. Like, doesn't that sound like a great place to be on a Sunday? Cathedral Ledge. And so I was tying the lines in, the rigging up at the top of a, a waterfall, and we had a 70-meter rope we dropped down, but we weren't quite sure that our rope was long enough to get to the bottom. And how many of you know if you're climbing down a waterfall, it's pretty bad when you realize your rope doesn't reach the bottom. So one of the guys with me, he, he said, I'm going to hike back down and I'll make sure that it's good. But I was already harnessed in, you know, I've got my, you know, rappel equipment on. And so I'm just sitting on the top of a frozen waterfall last Sunday morning. And I just by myself in the woods, I thought, oh, I'll get my phone out. And it happened to be just a little bit after 10 a.m. So this service was starting last weekend. So I jumped on the live stream. And uh, so uh, if you can imagine, I'm just sitting there, you know, with my, my, my crampons are stuck in the ice and, and I'm looking over this waterfall and, and Kayla was leading the worship team and you guys were singing, this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. And I'm like, yes, this is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise. So I was just having church with you last Sunday. I understand when Paul said, I can't be with you in body, but I'm with you in spirit. He meant Facebook live. So for those of you following that scripture, we're glad to have you online with us. I thought last weekend that I was going to, you know, get to finish summiting the last of the presidential peaks because I've done most of them. We had two left to go. And so we, we were trying to bag the last two presidential peaks and we went up to Mount Monroe and then we were going to traverse across to Mount Franklin and, uh, and you could, I mean, it was beautiful. You could see the whole mountain range. Uh, you could see Mount Washington and the weather observatory that's up there, you know, home of the world's worst weather. And we're looking at that and it's clear skies and it's only clear skies about 67 days out of the year. So we're like, this is great. And then we get above the Alpine zone and within like 10 minutes, we're socked in 50 feet of visibility. The high winds for that day uh, topped out at 104 miles per hour. And so we're all like up there, you know, uh, just like fighting our way through it like night three of a Pentecostal revival, you know, we're just like, whoo, you know, and so we're, we're fighting the wind, and we get up there to Mount Monroe, and we're like pretty quick, we're like, yeah, we can't go to Franklin, we gotta get, we gotta get back down, you know, so we, we get out of there, and I gotta be honest, I, I tell you that because that's one of the reasons I love the wilderness, I love the wilderness because it reminds me in a world where man thinks he is the measure of all things, nature begs to differ right? There was a, an article headline from the Los Angeles Times recently that said, we may live in a post-truth era, but nature does not. <laughs> you make your plans and then nature tells you what it's going to do. The weather reminds me that we serve uh, in a much bigger world than the one that we confine ourselves to. 
And it also reminds me that we serve and just be in God's presence. You know, one of the highlights of the trip for me was my oldest daughter, Morgan. She went with me on the trip. And, and her goal was to summit Mount Washington, the highest peak there in the Northeast. And so we, we made that trip together. And, man, she pushed through pain and broke down some obstacles and personal barriers. And she got there. She did it. And it was an amazing trip. But I want to tell you that before we did that trip, I had to equip her for the trip. You don't, you don't just set out in February to hike in, into those temperatures. I had, to, I had to buy her a down jacket. had to get her a shell layer for one of those high winds. So it, I had to get her some, some crampons so that her feet didn't uh, slip on the ice and an ice axe that she could carry and, and, and a balaclava and a, a neck gaiter, all that stuff. But it was so that she could succeed and pivot to the sermon with me now. Even Jesus, when he was getting ready to go into the wilderness in the Gospel of Luke, he needed to be equipped by his Father. It was a wilderness journey of obedience. It was stepping into a place that God was leading him. And yet, even for the places God leads us, we need the resources that God gives us so that we can do it. And I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It records Jesus' journey into the wilderness. Verse 21 tells us the equipment that Jesus needed to receive from the Father. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Obviously, not for the forgiveness of his sins, because Jesus was sinless. But he was baptized as a, a sign of consecration to the Lord. And it says he was praying. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Those three statements that God the Father made to him, I believe are critical statements that every one of us need to hear from our heavenly father. And every one of us long to hear from an earthly father. Words of identity, words of affection, words of affirmation. The word of identity was, you are my son. I mean, Jesus has been living a, a fully human life for 30 years, separated in proximity from his father. And God breaks the silence in that moment, and he says, you are my son. Can I just tell you what you already know to be true? We have a generation of confused children growing up in a world of silent fathers that need someone to tell them who they are. And the best we can say is, Discover it for yourself. That is not God's plan. God's plan is that a father would speak to the identity of a son or a daughter and say, this is who you are. Now you have the anchor point to go out and discover what you can do. I think of the story in Genesis 35. Jacob and Rachel are about to have a son and she's having a difficulty in childbirth and she's losing too much blood, and she's about to die. And the Bible says in Genesis 35, 18, Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. And then she died. She named him son of my sorrow, and then he died. Now, Jacob, the father, is standing there. His wife is just 
died. And Jacob, more than anybody maybe, understands the value of a blessing from a father. Because you remember Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright. He stole the blessing and lived his life having received his blessing while Esau lived his life crying out, Father, would you bless me too? So in that moment, the Bible says, but the baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Jacob said, no, 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 wait. He's not going to go through his life thinking he's the son of sorrow. He's the son of favor. He's the son of my right hand. And you know, there's a lot of uncertainty that you're going to face in your life when you go through things you might define as a wilderness season. But can I tell you today, your identity shouldn't be one of them. You should be well equipped to know who you are because you know whose you are. And that you've heard the word of the Lord calling you by name saying, you are my son. It's a word of identity. And then God gives him a word of affection when he says, whom I love. I love you. And God confirms his love. And this is where, honestly, in the natural, us paternal parents, we, we fall short in this sometimes. We assume that something's known, but God didn't want to assume. God spoke. God broke the silence. From heaven, he spoke to his son and said, this is the one whom I love. Now, if God can speak from heaven to communicate his affection to his own son, I think we can speak across the table. How about you? We ought to speak. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 15, or Proverbs 27, 15, it says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. In other words, give me something. Like, say something. Don't, don't, don't just be silent. I'd, I'd rather you give me corrective, instructive criticism than, than to just not give me anything. But what we long for, what we look for, and what we need is a word of affection. God didn't just communicate affection by speaking. He also made his presence felt. It wasn't just lip service. The Bible says he sent the Holy Spirit down in the form of a dove. So Jesus, who felt maybe so far in the natural from his heavenly father, all of a sudden, the Spirit lighted upon him in the form of a dove. The third equipping that God gave his son before he went into the wilderness was affirmation. God said, with you, I'm well pleased. A word of affirmation. Mind you, Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet. He's lived for pretty years as the son of a carpenter, Joseph. He hasn't done miracles yet. He hasn't preached a sermon, and yet God looks at him and he says, you are my son in whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus knew in that moment that God's affirmation of him was not going to be based on his performance, and what a secure place to be, to know that right now you can know I can't do anything to make God love me anymore, and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. That's the place we need to be. Before, before we try to follow God into a difficult place, before we try to walk into the wilderness of obedience to his will, it doesn't start with works and effort and striving. It starts with identity, affection, and affirmation. It begins out of place of knowing that, that God bankrupt heaven's account for my salvation. He loves you completely, church. He loves you. He's for you. Before you even think about the hard work of obedience, we don't follow God out of legalism. We follow him out of love because we know who we are. We know what he said about us. Even Israel needed this. 
If you look in the Old Testament, in the children of Israel, they, they needed these words. In Exodus 3, we'll put this on the screen for you. It says in verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. That's a word of identity. I mean, 400 years of bondage and slavery, 40 years of silence in the desert, and all of a sudden Moses comes to a burning bush and God says, those are my people. How many of you believe they might have needed to hear that? I've seen the misery of my people, a word of identity. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. That's a word of affection. God says, my heart is moved with what hurts you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's the affection of the father. <clears throat> he said, I'm concerned with their suffering. In verse 8, he says, so I've come down to rescue them. That's affirmation. I got you. I'm here for you. I'm fighting for you. I've come down to rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring you up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses takes these three words and he goes and he shares them with his brother Aaron. And Aaron goes and he speaks to the people. You can read what he said in Exodus 4, verse 30. It says, Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He talked about how God identified with them, how God is still affectionate for them, how he affirmed his plan for their life. And it says he performed the signs before the people also, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. See, some of you, maybe you're hesitant to follow God into the unknown because you haven't, you haven't grasped the revelation that God is concerned about you, that God loves you completely, that he's proud of you, that he's pleased with you, not, not because of anything you've accomplished, but because of where you came from. You're his. You're his child. Your picture's on his refrigerator. You're his. He's proud of you. It doesn't matter how many times you color outside the lines. He likes your work. You're his. And sometimes we hesitate to follow God into the unknown because we haven't started with the right resources. In the same way that I equipped my daughter to accomplish a hard thing, God wants to equip you today. He wants to equip you. For those of you that have been trekking with us consistently, you, you might know this is the third sermon that I've preached on the wilderness. And, and so hopefully by now, you are already well aware and confident in your understanding that God has a good plan for your life, and that good plan actually includes the wilderness. Most of us, I think, are there. Some of us, we're still not there, and, and we're kind of stuck on the connotation of the wilderness is a bad place. The wilderness is just a place of wandering, of, of, of judgment, of, of isolation, of struggle. And, and I think for all of us, that's kind of the, the instinct reaction when we talk about the wilderness. I was reminded even last week, I had our serve team leaders at my house. We were all together for a meeting, and uh, my dad was in town, and so he sat in on the meeting. Now, Many of you don't know my dad, but he's been a preacher of the gospel for longer than I've been alive. And so he's sitting in our meeting, and, and I started the devotion, and I said, now I want to remind you all leaders, I know you know this, but I, I sense that the word the Lord is speaking to me for our church this year is the wilderness. And, and almost involuntarily, my dad just kind of spoke up. He said, I ain't going. <laughs> I had to laugh, you know. Because he didn't have the context that we had in that moment. But we all feel that way, right? We're like, no thanks. 
I tell you what, you go ahead and do 22 in the wilderness. I'm going to the promised land. I'm going to the blessing. I'm going for the milk and honey. I'm going for the favor of God. I'm going for the abundance, the overflow, the outpour, all those things. That's what I want. Don't you keep the wilderness for yourself. And oftentimes we view it that way. But I want to tell you that God, when he delivered his people out of bondage, he delivered them into a wilderness. The wilderness was the place of God's grace. It was a wide open space where they could learn to hear his voice and follow his lead. It was the place where he gave them the commands. For us today, heaven is our promised land, but how many of you know we're not home yet? We're not home yet. See, we need to remember that some, there's people right now that, that would profess Jesus' name, and they're frustrated with God. They're crying out, why God? Because they're looking at the headlines, and they're looking at what's happening in our world, and that just doesn't line up with the good God, and they've forgotten that this is not the promised land. This is the wilderness. For our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, I can promise you, today feels like a wilderness. But the wilderness is part of God's plan for our life. In fact, man was created in the wilderness. Read, read Genesis. Adam was created in the wilderness and he was placed in the garden. And maybe that's why for, for a lot of us men, and I know women, some women are this way too, but we feel, we feel a, a draw, a call of the wild. We feel like this desire to get outside, you know, get your hands dirty, you know, climb a mountain or, or plant a garden or, or hack at golf balls or go fishing or something, you know, shoot, a, shoot something that's got red meat in it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, I, I love that psalm where David says something about the glory of God in the mountains rich with game. And I'm like, see, even David knew that the mountains rich with game were more glorious than the mountains with, <laughs> without game. <laughs> but there's something in us that just knows, like, this is what we were created. This is our, our, our place of belonging. It's no surprise we connect with God better in creation. We are a part of creation. The Holy Spirit leads us into wilderness moments, and that's what we're going to see in this text. I want you to know God absolutely has a good plan for your life. But the wilderness is the way. And so before you step into uh, the uncertainty of obedience, the daily walking with Jesus, make sure you're properly equipped for the journey. Make sure that your identity and your affirmation and your affection comes from the Father and not from your social media status. Make sure that you know who you are because of what your heavenly father says, not because of what someone else said about you. We need to be properly equipped. After Jesus had this incredible moment in the Jordan, he's baptized by John. The Holy Spirit comes down. He's filled with power. He hears the Father speak from heaven. If ever there was a moment to, to, to just go right into the ministry, this is the moment. I mean, he's, he's, he's ready to go. You would think Jesus is going to come up out of the water, and he's going to prophesy. He's going to start laying hands on the sick, and revival is going to happen right there. And he's just going to take John the Baptist's ministry to a whole other level, but that's not what happens. In fact, many of you know how, what happens next, but I want you to see it with me. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, came up out of the water, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. <clears throat> Some people might ask, Pastor, why, why would you want to encourage anyone to go into the wilderness? Why, why would you say that? Well, how about obedience as a good reason? This verse says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
So why did he go there? He went there for 40 days of fasting and prayer. Jesus went there to prepare his heart and his mind for the ministry that God had for him. The Spirit led him. Maybe in the natural, it looked like it was go time. In the natural, he was ready to do what David did, run through a troop and leap over a wall. But in the supernatural, God said, I need you to come away with me. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and prayer. Now, as a church, in three weeks, we're going to enter into a season of fasting and prayer. 21 days of fasting and prayer from March 20th, that's a Sunday, to April 9th. That's the Saturday right before Palm Sunday. And, and I want you to know, this is not a legalistic thing. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to do this, but here's my prayer. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, would you lead us into this? Because I'll shoot straight with you and tell you, fasting isn't fun. Like, going to the wilderness. Yeah. No, like, it's work. It, it, it's, it's a hard place. It's a sacrificial place. But here's my prayer. God, would you lead us by your spirit? There may be people here that go, man, you know, I, I, I come to church and, and I read my Bible but, and I pray, but fasting I've never done, I, that's, that's next level stuff. That's like, I don't know, that's for people in a monastery somewhere. I, I don't know about fasting, you know. I'll pray God bless the food, but I ain't asking him to take the food. <laughs> but how many of you know that God, God can teach us new things at new levels of obedience? And so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I was thinking about it this last week. I've already determined for me, and you do what works for you, but one of the rhythms that I'm gonna add to my fast this year is I'm gonna spend time outside. Uh, just every day. So I, and I'm not saying you gotta climb a mountain, you know, go up to the, uh, the white mountains. It, it might be a walk around your block. It might be just saying, you know what? I, I, I usually sit here at my kitchen table, but I'm gonna take a cup of tea in my Bible and I'm gonna go sit outside, you know, while, while the flowers are busting up through the earth this spring. And I'm gonna hear the birds chirping. I'm just gonna get outside. Maybe you just wanna swing in a hammock or start working in your garden. But for me, I, I just wanna say, God, I wanna get outside. I wanna get in a place where I'm not, Drowning out your voice with all the digital noise of the small world that I've created. And I want to be small in the big world that you've created. In your even bigger hands. And I want to step into that. While Jesus was in the wilderness, many of you know this, he was tempted by the devil three times. And, and, and for some of us, that's why we don't want to go to the wilderness. We're like, yeah, we know what happens there. I, I don't want to do the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Now, I don't want to talk about those temptations. That if, if they can just avoid the hard places and the difficult things, then somehow they can avoid the temptation of the enemy. Like, if I, if I can just kind of be unseen, if I can just be like a stealth mode Christian and just kind of stay under the radar, somehow I'll, I'll avoid conflict with the enemy. But there is one verse I want to show you that happened in the wilderness that communicates how wrong that thought is. It says in chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him. But that's not the end of the sentence. It says he left him until an opportune time. In other words, the devil's coming back. Like, okay, you endured the temptation in the wilderness. I know that was a difficult season. You were in a job transition or you were dealing with sickness in your home or you had this rebellious son or daughter and, and it was really a test of your faith, but you'd stayed true and you held fast and God was faithful and man, it looks like the cloud has lifted and the, the enemy is gone and, and I'm shouting victory, but how many of you know he's coming back? Yeah. He's relentless. 
And so he left until there was another opportune time. The truth is, he'll attack you in the wilderness, but he'll also attack you at work. <laughs> he'll attack you in the wilderness. Some of you, he's attacking you on the web. Your worst enemy is that device in your pocket. Until an opportune time comes. And then he circles back around. See, what you need to know is temptation is coming regardless of what you do. But you also need to know that obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God is the key to the strength you need for victory. Obedience. Jesus was led by the Spirit. When the children of Israel were going into the wilderness, how were they going to have the strength to overcome the adversaries that they were coming up to? It was obedience. In fact, he says to them in Deuteronomy 11, verse 8, Observe, therefore, all the commands that I'm giving you today so that you may have strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. See, a lot of people say to God, like, you know, God, I would, I would do more. I would serve you more. I would obey more if you would do this for me. <laughs> like, we want to negotiate. God, if, if you would make this happen and, and change that situation, then I'll do this. And can I just tell you, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. The way that we get the strength to serve the Lord in the wilderness is by walking in obedience with the known will of God today. To not say, God, if you open that door, if you part that sea, if you make a way for me, I'll do all these things for you. It's kind of like the person that says, God, if you give me the pay raise, if you give me the promotion, I'll start tithing. No, you won't. No, you, if you can't give God $50 of $500, do not tell yourself you'll give him $100 of $1,000. Because 10% is 10% is 10%. And so we have to walk in obedience to the word of God today. And he says to them, I want you to obey every command I've given you so that when the battle comes, you'll have the strength to go in and possess the land. Obedience is the first step to strength. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. And everywhere you see the word faith in the New Testament, it is an active verb. It's not, it's not a mental ascent. It's not intellectualism. It's not, it's not a thought. Faith is, is faith. It means to put your full weight, your confidence, your trust. The same way you have faith in that chair that's underneath you right now, that's what it means to have faith in God. I put my full weight in it. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. That's why James said to the church in James 2 and 17, he said, in the same way, faith without works accompanying it, is dead. In other words, it's not, it's not actual faith. It's a facade. It's a mirage of faith. It looks like faith, but then when you get closer, there's nothing there. Because faith has to have obedience. And so being led by the Spirit into the wilderness for Jesus and for us means stepping out of your comfort zone. Being led into the wilderness means stepping out of security, stepping out of independence, and it means stepping into a place of complete trust in God and complete pursuit of God. When you say, God, I'll follow you where you're leading me. You're saying, God, I'm stepping out of what I have known. 
what I've been familiar with. Look at the next verse with me here in the text. Luke 4 verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. That's powerful. Because the truth is, a lot of people, they don't want to follow God against the grain. They don't want to follow God in a way that the world is not going because they're afraid they're going to lose their influence. And it seems like everybody wants to be an influencer today. But a real influencer is not a person that chases after an audience. A real influencer is is someone that people chase after. They're influenced by them. They want to find it. Like John the Baptist's whole ministry was out there. He was in the wilderness. I mean, you had, to, you had to go find that guy to be ministered to by John the Baptist. It was not a short walk. And I love this verse, verse 14, because it says Jesus, he goes away for 40 days. It's just him and God. He's not worried about everybody else and what's going back. And when he powered back of the holy and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. I love the, the statement It's often attributed to John Wesley. He didn't say it, but it's still a good statement. It says, set yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. I believe that. Jesus was just fully committed to obedience to the Holy Spirit, and he was led away from what we would call effective ministry And into a time of solitude, only to come back with more power and more platforms. See, here's the reality, church. Most of us would rather spend our energy trying to climb the ladder of success when God's will for us is the wilderness of significance. But it requires an obedience to say, God, I'll follow you. I'll be led by the Spirit, even if it looks like I'm moving away. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, Jesus comes out of the spirit or out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Immediately he goes into Nazareth and he begins to preach. Now, wouldn't you love to have heard that first sermon? I mean, Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting in prayer. Before that, God spoke to him from heaven. He got baptized, filled up with the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking like this is the Sunday you don't want to miss. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. How do you think that sermon went? Well, look at it with me. Verse 28 says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, I've I've laid some sermon eggs a few times, but nobody's tried to kill me for it. Like, I'm... I haven't had to fight for my life at the end of the message yet. But I mean, honestly, in the natural, if there was ever a time and a reason to quit the ministry, this is the moment, right? I mean, Jesus has done all the spiritual things you could ever expect somebody to do. He fasted, he prayed, he sought the Lord, he prepared his heart, and this is his hometown, you know, this isn't like he's in some, you know, other third world country, you know, where people want to persecute Christians. These are his neighbors, his classmates. And they try to kill him. If Jesus hadn't already received identity, affection, and affirmation from his heavenly father, he might have quit. Right then, it might have been enough 
But Jesus had spent seven weeks seeking the face of God, fasting and prayer, resisting the devil. So you know what he does? He just wipes the dust off his feet and he goes to the next town. He said, you people don't define me. I'm not doing all of this for your applause. I'm doing this for the applause of one. And he, and he just goes to the next town. Look at verse 31. It says, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee on the Sabbath. He taught the people there. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Doesn't that sound like our culture? One minute people can't get enough of you, the next minute they want to cancel you. So Jesus is there, now he's in Galilee. He's, he's healing the sick in Capernaum. He's casting out demons. By the end of the day, they want to make him a king. So here, one chapter, two weeks of ministry. Jesus goes to one place and they want, to, they want to kill him. And then he goes to the very next place and they want to crown him. What do you do, what do, you do with a schizophrenic church like that? Like What, what, what do you do with... With a culture that, that, that responds like that. I'll tell you what Jesus did. It's right here in verse 42. At daybreak, it says Jesus went out to a solitary place. He went back to the wilderness. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. So one crowd's trying to push him off the hill, and the other's trying to hold on to his ankles. We need you. And Jesus said, no, I've been, I've been, I've been with God. I know my assignment." I know whose voice is leading me. He spent enough time with God not to be canceled by his critics or distracted by his fans. And that's, that's where we need to be, church. Jesus said, I, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. We need to come out of this place on a Sunday morning being so in tune with the voice of the Lord that we can't be canceled by our critics and we can't be distracted by our fans and by uh, worldly accolades, but that we just know the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Amen. Amen. So Jesus goes back to the wilderness. He gets away from the noise. He gets back to a place of clarity. He gets back to a place where he can commune with his father. See, for Jesus, the wilderness was not a once and done season. It wasn't just like a trial or an exile or a tribulation to go, well, you know, there were some hard lessons to learn, but I'm glad that's over. No, the wilderness was a place that he just kept coming back to. It was a place that he knew. I have the father's ear and he has mine. He kept going back again and again so that he could recalibrate his heart to the mission of God. You know, when God called Israel to come into the wilderness, it was actually an invitation to worship. See, we forget that sometimes because, again, we get ahead in the story and we think of all the things that happened because of their rebellion. But God's invitation to the wilderness was an invitation to worship. I'll show it to you quickly. It says in Exodus 3.18, the elders of Israel will listen to you, God says. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into generation after generation they had spent in captivity in Egypt. And God, God says to Moses, three days is enough. Three days is enough distance to get them out of their comforts and also to get them out of their confinement so that they can step into a place and make a sacrifice to me like they've never made before. And can I say that's what God wants to step with us and to step into his presence just because we need to break past the old, the, the old patterns that held us back. Whether it was confinement of our old life of sin or just the comforts 
of our modern Christianity. God's saying, come away with me. Take a three-day journey. Take a 21-day fast. Move from your seat and come to the altar. Do something to pursue my presence. The wilderness is an invitation to worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. The wilderness is a place of worship for us. It's a place of obedience for us. If you read ahead, and I don't have time to go there, but in Luke chapter 5, in the next chapter, Jesus calls Peter, James, and John to put down their nets and to follow him. Those men would become his best friends in this world. Right after that, he heals a man of leprosy. I mean, a guy who's covered head to toe with an incurable disease and, and God heals him in that moment. So now the crowds are amassing like never before. I mean, it really feels like they're firing on all cylinders now. Jesus has his, his ministry partnership together. It's established. He's got his, his posse with him and, and the crowds are coming and, and everything is starting to line up according to the mission that God sent Jesus for. So what does he do? Look at verse 16 of Luke 5. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. See, the wilderness was not a place of exile for Jesus. It was a place of entering in. The wilderness is the place where we, we come near to God, where we step away from the noise, whether it's a three-day journey or a 30-minute timeout from, your, from the kids and the family and a walk around the block. It's, it's just an invitation to say, come away and make a sacrifice to me and for me. The wilderness is a place of obedience. Sometimes the Spirit leads us to do hard things. But if you'll follow His lead, if you'll say, okay, okay God, I, I, I've never done that before. I've never committed to that level, but I'll serve there. I'll give that much. I'll go witness to that person. I'll get up a half hour earlier and dig into the Word. When, whatever that step is, when we say, God, I sense the Spirit leading me into a hard place, I'm going to go there. God gives you the strength in your obedience. To win the battle you don't even know he's preparing you for and there's no other way to get that strength than to be led by the spirit I want to invite you to stand all over this room we're going to just close this service by making an altar out of this sanctuary if you want to come